This is Living Hope with Pastor Claude Stoffer of Calvary Chapel Hope. The enemy will always use envy. Do you envy? Do you envy others? Are you jealous of others? When Look, I'm going to tell you, if you're ever envious or jealous, it's one of two things, and neither of them are good. It's either a work of your flesh, or it's Satan who's playing with you, playing with your head. Love does not envy. And love is from the Spirit, and love is the fruit of the Spirit, and love is the indicator, the great indicator of where we stand with the Lord. Jealousy can be a powerful thing. Maybe your neighbor's new car or that brand new house down the block has got you feeling that subtle sting of envy. Whatever the case may be, Pastor Claude will encourage you to take stock and thank the Lord for all that he's given you, big and small, no matter the significance. Now here's Pastor Claude in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 with today's edition of Living Hope. Then it says this in verse 18, he says, Therefore we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again. But then it says what? But Satan hindered us. And I want to pause there a moment because, you know, that's an important thing to understand that we have an adversary. He's real. He's not at all equal with God. He's a fallen angel. He's part of God's creation. God created him. He had a, he had a high position in God's worship team in heaven. But he got full of himself and out of pride, desired to usurp the throne of the Lord and exalt himself as God. And the Lord cast him to the earth. Now Satan, it says, Peter says, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he might devour. We have an adversary. And he wants to hinder God's work in and through you. And that's extremely important to understand. Because when we understand, you know, I like what one of the early church fathers said. He said that you have to know the poison before he can prescribe the antidote. And Satan is the poison. He's the one that poisons us, or tries to anyways. And it's so important for us to understand what his tactics are, because when we understand the tactics of the enemy, then we can, they're exposed and we can be aware of what's going on and why the things are happening in our lives that hinder us. So where can we see this? Well, Why was Paul not with the Thessalonians? Because there had been an opposition in his church planning mission to Thessalonica that caused him to have to flee. So let's go back. Come with me to Acts chapter 17, just for a a few moments. Because in Acts chapter 17, where we see the, the history of Paul's ministry to the Thessalonians, we get a real clear understanding of some of the tactics that our adversary Satan will use to hinder God's plan in us and through us, okay? Look what it says here in verse 1. It says, now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, This Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. So there were not a small number who responded, and a church was actually planted there. But still, 
the enemy hindered what was going on there. And we see that in the next verses. It says in verse 5, But the Jews who were not persuaded. Now, who are these Jews? They are the religious folk. They are people that had a religious system. And they were very religious. And what's interesting, when you look at the book of Acts from chapter 1 all the way through, who are the people who most often oppose the gospel? It's the religious folk. It's the religious who have their traditions. And they don't want anyone to challenge their traditions. And a lot of times they they even have the attitude, I don't care if I'm right or wrong. Just do what I say. Don't mess. You know? And that's what we see here. You know, uh, Paul, when he was writing to Timothy about the end times, he said that a time would come when people had a form of godliness but deny its power. And we'll see that more and more in our world today. Very religious people, but people who have not been born again of the Spirit, people who have not received Jesus Christ as their Savior and been born again, people who don't have spiritual life. They have ceremony. They have ritual. They go through the motions. They do things. They even have a certain understanding, but there's no spiritual rebirth. They have not been born again. Jesus said, you must be born again. I'm not saying that. That's what Jesus said. If we study the Bible inductively, you must be born again. And it doesn't matter what any church or church tradition says about being born again. You must be born again. How do you get around that? You can't get around that. You must be born again. And those that refused to receive Jesus as their Savior, these are the ones that then become instruments in the hands of Satan. But Satan hindered. Who's hindering? Who's preventing Paul from continuing the preaching of the gospel to the Gentiles and to those who are lost? It's the religious people. It's the religious. Don't make this a a racial thing with Jews and not liking Jews. No, the gospel was presented to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. And and everyone that, that doesn't receive the Lord, everyone is culpable if they don't receive Christ as their Savior. So don't make that a prejudicial type of thing. The first thing we see here is that one of the prime instruments of Satan to hinder God's people and God's work are religious people. Religious people. And then why? Why? It says becoming envious. They're envious. They're jealous. Why? Because these people are only concerned about who is in my group, who attends my church. Right? I don't care if my church is right or wrong. I want people to come to my church. I want them to be a part of my religion. Envy. Jealousy. You see, people were flocking to the gospel and responding to the gospel being preached. There was a church that was actually planted here. Those were all people that came out. Out. They came to Jesus as their Savior. And the enemy will always use envy. Do you envy? Do you envy others? Are you jealous of others? When Look, I'm going to tell you. If you're ever envious or jealous, it's one of two things, and neither of them are good. It's either a work of your flesh, or it's Satan who's playing with you, playing with your head. Love does not envy, and love is from the Spirit, and love is the fruit of the Spirit, and love is the indicator, the great indicator of where we stand with the Lord. Are you envious? Are you jealous? Or people who oppose you. Are they envious? 
or jealous? Are you trying to make them envious or jealous? So religious, religious affiliation or religious people becoming envious, it says, it says, took some of the evil men, some of the lowlifes, some of the base people, the people that live to just, you know, they don't care about the Lord. They use people who have no desire to be used by the Lord. They, they use them as instruments. Some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathering, and then next thing, what? A mob. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 33 and 40, it says God is a God of order, a God of design, not a God of chaos. So what do we see when Satan works? Chaos, riot, confusion, right? They want to rile people up so that it's a mob mentality so they can't hear what's being proclaimed. You ever have a situation where just like everything is like, even, even in your own households, where it just seems like everything is breaking loose and it's like chaos. If you've got little kids, there's times of chaos, right? Chaos, riot, mob. It's like a mob. you got the kids coming at you like a mob. Oh, you, you know. And I'm not saying, you know, those, those little kids, they're so tender, they're so precious. But, you know, let me tell you. Satan wants them up. When you, when you look on television, when you go to a, if you were to go and peacefully attempt to demonstrate in front of an abortion clinic, if the Lord calls you to do that, more power to you. But let's say you did that, usually opposition is going to try to rally a mob against you. And when you see that, those mob tactics, it's of the enemy. And when Christians, when Christians try to outmob the other mob, what are they doing? They're using ungodly types of tactics. Ungodly tactics. So a mob set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, sought to bring them out to the people. But when they did not find him, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, these who have turned the world upside down and come here too. What's going on? Violence. Violence. Violence is a tactic. Why? Because Satan wants to get you to cower and be afraid and shut up. And he'll use violence. He'll try to shout you down and shut you up. And, like we see here, he will bring false accusations. He's the father of lies, and he will always use deception and false accusation. You watch the news. Anytime someone is on there, any, somebody who's a reputable Christian, a God-fearing person, a spiritual person, if they're interviewed or whatever, what ha- it's false accusation, all kinds of innuendos. Well, what about this? What about that? And it's all kind of wackadoo type of stuff brought against Christians. False accusations saying Christians believe and do certain things that they, there's no way they do. That's the enemy. That is the enemy. Beware. To be forewarned is to be forearmed. Be aware of that and put on the armor of God. So Satan hindered. Satan hindered. And we see there's an example in Acts chapter 17. Put on the armor of God, it tells us. In Ephesians 6, verses 10 to 18, stand in His power and His might, not our own power. And put on the armor 
of God, the helmet of salvation, the shield of faith, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt buckle of truth that high, ties everything together. Go with the gospel on your, on your feet. All of those things. God has given us armor. But you see, if you're, if you're one of these relevant types of churches or a seeker-friendly type of church that minimizes the use of God's Word, it's like you have all the armor on, but there's no sword. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, take that away. Who would you rather fight if you were an adversary? Someone with a long, big sword that could chop you in half with one stroke or someone that just had maybe their fists? Right? Maybe they could duke it out with you, right? Who would you rather fight? See, the enemy always wants to remove that sword of the Spirit from your arsenal. So, goes on to say back in, in 1 Thessalonians goes on to say in verses 19 and 24, what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. I want to close with this. Paul mentions the crown of rejoicing. Did you know a time is going to come where we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. The time is coming when Jesus, as we'll learn later in chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians, he's going to come in the clouds. We will meet him in the clouds, and he will take us to heaven. The first thing that we'll do, you can see what the scene will look like when we stand before the Lord in Revelation chapters 4 and 5. One of the first things that we'll do when we meet with the Lord is we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, it tells us in Revelation chapter 22, verse 12, that Jesus is coming. He's coming quickly. And it says, and his rewards, his reward is with him. Let's make a distinction here. Salvation is a gift to be received by faith. You do not work for your salvation. It's a gift of God. It's a gift of God's grace. You merely receive it. It's not a reward. A reward is something that you get for doing something. You earn rewards. You don't earn salvation. So Jesus is coming. He's coming what? With his reward. Why? Because when he meets, when he calls us up yonder and we meet with the Lord, we will all stand before his judgment seat. And he will judge us. And he will give us rewards based on how we lived our Christian lives. He will examine us from the point that we receive Jesus Christ as Savior, how we use the resources he put at our disposal, how we use the spiritual gifting he gave us. What was our motive? What did we do for his glory? How did we live? Did we avail ourselves of all that he put at our disposal. It tells us we'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Romans 14.10 and 2 Corinthians 5.10. Each of those places, Paul speaks about the judgment seat of Christ. What are the rewards that Jesus will give out? He will give out crowns. That's what he's talking about here. The crown of rejoicing. And there, the scriptures tell us there are five crowns that we, we could be rewarded with. The first one is the uh, incorruptible crown. 
that will be given to those who ran a disciplined, temperate life race, who fought the good fight against the enemy. We see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 to 27. Here in verse 20, or verse 19 and 20, we see the crown of rejoicing, where Paul is speaking about those who have won souls to Christ's kingdom. What does he say? He says, for what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? He was instrumental. He's going to get a crown of rejoicing because he was used by the Lord to lead these Thessalonians to Christ. The next thing we see is the crown of life in James chapter 2. And the crown of life is given to those who resisted giving in to temptation. So think about this. Every time you're tempted and choose to obey the Lord and resist temptation, every time I think a new jewel is put in that crown for you. Every time. Every time. Then there's the crown of glory in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. And this will be given to those who edified and built up the church in ministry. The crown of righteousness. So five crowns, the incorruptible crown, the crown of rejoicing, the crown of life, the crown of glory, and the crown of righteousness, lastly, in 2 Timothy 4, verse 8, which is for those who eagerly waited for the return of Jesus. Think about that. Do you eagerly wait for the return of Jesus? Or are you one of these people that says, ah, he, didn't, he hasn't come for 2,000 years. He ain't going to come anytime soon. You know, yeah, he hasn't come for 2,000 years. Doesn't the scripture tell us we're closer today than we were when we first believed? Or do you live each day as though Jesus could return? He could return before the end of this service. Are you living accordingly? Are you eagerly anticipating his return. If you do, the Lord will give you the crown of righteousness. Now, here's the thing. What are we going to do with those crowns? Pastors, five crowns, one head. Do the math, Pastor. What are we going to do? We're going to pile them on top of each other? Well, when we look in Revelation chapter 4 and 5 at the scene that we'll be a part of when we, when we are taken to heaven in the rapture, It tells us in verse 10 that the elders, the people, the representatives of the church, what did they do? They cast their crowns before the Lord. Is the Lord doing this for him? No, he's doing this for us. We earn the rewards, but we serve out of loving appreciation. And those crowns are tokens. They're symbols of a life lived to the glory of the Lord. And you know, we really can't boast. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it tells us that neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God causes the growth. So you, you know, whatever happens, our job is just to be faithful, to be faithful and be living for the Lord. But we will cast our crowns. Now picture this. We're the bride of Christ. He is our groom. Now when we stand before Jesus, the one who gave his life, who spilt his blood to cleanse us from our sin, to redeem us from the penalty of sin, to redeem us from the curse of death, to rise from the dead so we too can rise after him, who gave us all, who held nothing back for us, to the Father who, who demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, he sent Jesus to die for us. And Jesus agreed. Jesus did that. Submitted himself 
Not, not just to being a, a servant, but a servant to the point of death, even death on the cross. Ask the Lord to reveal to you the cost of your redemption. And then once the Lord is revealing that to you and expressing it and just illuminating that truth to you, then picture yourself taken to glory in the rapture, standing before the Lord Jesus at the judgment seat of Christ, receiving a crown, and then in loving appreciation say, Lord, this is for you. You see, it's a, it's a wonderful thing, isn't it? We want to express our loving appreciation. We want to give the Lord back just a little bit, you know, just something, a token of our appreciation. Also in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it talks about two types of people, two types of Christians, when it talks about those in, who, who live the Christian life. It talks about those who, who will spend their lives and will build with precious stones, those things which need to be mined or that you have to dig down deep, gold, precious metals, precious jewels. You know, there are some people that they live their Christian life. It's, they really give their best and they're willing to dig. You understand what I'm saying? They're willing to sweat a little bit. They're willing to apply themselves. But then the other people are those people, their lives are more like wood, hay, and stubble. Wood, wood, hay, and stubble, the stuff they can just find, it's easily grasped on the surface. And then it goes on to say that each person's work will be revealed or exposed by the fire. At the judgment seat of Christ, there'll be a fire that will test our works. It'll test the motivation. It'll test efforts. It'll test all of it. Whether it was just we were living a superficial, easygoing, take the money and run type of Christianity, or whether we really applied God's word to our lives. And then one last thing. In Revelation chapter 1, it gives us the answer of what I believe that fire will be that will test us, test our works. When Jesus is described, the glorified Christ is described in Revelation chapter 1 by the Apostle John. He said, and his eyes were a flame of fire. I think at the judgment seat of Christ, Jesus will look at us with fiery eyes, and he'll just cut through all the pretense, cut through all the hypocrisy, cut through all the selfishness and carnality and all that stuff. And, you know, if what we lived was just for ourselves or to draw attention to ourselves, I think all that stuff is just going to be burned up. It's going to be burned up. But those things that were done selflessly, for the, genuinely for the glory of God, they'll stand the test of his fiery gaze. Apply the word. Anticipate standing before him at the judgment seat of Christ. Be aware of your adversary and his tactics. He's the one that wants you to work for your glory and not for the Lord. It's all part of his tactics. The early church had been given the job of sharing the gospel message with everyone everywhere. It was a commission from Jesus, the Savior who died on the cross to save all mankind from sin. The Apostle Paul and his fellow missionaries held tightly to the truth and were never afraid to share it. As you discover in 1 Thessalonians, their intent was never to deceive, 
But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. You may at times shy away from sharing the good news of Jesus with others due to fear of looking foolish. Don't let that stop you. Jesus' message of hope is more important. You too have been commissioned by Jesus to speak his love and grace to a world that desperately needs it. His message is all that matters. Thanks for joining us today to study God's word on living hope. If you'd like to hear more teachings from this series, visit our website, calvarychapelofhope.org. We'd love to have you join us for church this weekend as well. Find out more at our website. Again, that's calvarychapelofhope.org. That's all we have for today's edition of Living Hope, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Hope. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his abundant mercy, has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead.